How many people are ready for the word of the Lord tonight? I love it. I love it when there is a hunger in the house. You know, we're going to uh, we're going to talk tonight. The message tonight is going to be out of the book of Matthew, chapter twenty-four. So, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and start flipping there. Now, before we get into it, let me give you a little preparation, okay? Because this is slightly different than maybe normal. Uh, the The story in Matthew twenty-four or uh, the verses, if you will, are what are commonly referred to as the apocalyptic discourse or the Olivet Discourse. That would be because Jesus was on the Mount of Olives whenever he was talking to the disciples. Apocalyptic Discourse I kind of prefer because it really describes a lot of the signs of what will the earth will look like uh, when Jesus is ready to come back. Okay, so the apocalyptic discourse, and it's mostly all of chapter 24. Now, I'm also going to be pulling in verses from Mark and Luke. The reason is they all tell the same story in slightly different ways. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what are called the synoptic gospels of the four. John is not one of the synoptic gospels, mainly because Matthew, Mark, and Luke are almost identical, similar chronologically, as well as in the stories, miracles, and things that were told. So there are some verses in Mark or some verses in Luke that are going to say things in a certain way that I think are better for the teaching tonight. So don't get lost or feel like we're jumping all over the place. We're really staying in the same passages. We're just talking about them from those different, uh, from those different books. Are you with me so far? Okay. So it's called the Apocalyptic Discourse. Now, what Jesus is doing is he's beginning out talking to the disciples and those who are around him about uh, the near-term destruction that will come. It actually comes in around 70 AD, so however many, you know, 40 basically years almost after Jesus is resurrected is when this happens, but the the destruction that he begins talking about is when the Roman Empire uh, devastates the Second Temple and Jerusalem. They bring destruction, it says all the stones of the temple were crushed, and so Jesus begins kind of talking about that, but then he shifts gears, and they don't really realize he shifts gears, and he starts talking about the destruction and the things that will happen towards the end of days before the second coming of Christ, okay? Now, this is very important because as you study the Bible, you'll see that there is something that is called uh, duality in prophecy or dual fulfillment. Here's what that means. When Jesus or a prophet is speaking in a prophetic way, many times... It has a near-term fulfillment that will come. In this case, it happens when the Roman Empire destroys the city of Jerusalem and destroys the temple. However, in a lot of cases, the duality in prophecy is because there is a longer-term or more remote, further-out fulfillment of that prophecy that will take place later on. And so... This is a big part of the reason why a lot of the Jewish people missed Christ as the Messiah. Even to this day, I personally believe it's why a lot of the Jewish uh, faith, members of the Jewish faith, do not acknowledge Jesus as Savior. It's because they were looking at all the prophecies throughout the Old Testament, and then they were looking at how those would be fulfilled in the Messiah. And Jesus comes along and he fulfills a substantial amount of those prophecies. However, there are a lot of the prophecies that are still yet to be fulfilled in the second coming. So it's called the first and the second advent. And so there's this duality here that goes on. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to take a minute to explain this because I think this is really important when you're studying the Bible, this idea that there could be near term and then remote fulfillment of a lot of things that we read, right? Rodrigo, would you come up here for just a second? 
me use you as a volunteer. I'm going to have you just kind of stand right here on this first step. And then just hold this where this light bulb is right above your head like you've got a bright idea. Because you're full of bright ideas, right? All right. Keep, bring it down just a little bit, like right by your head. Okay. So you're, you're hearing scripture, you're hearing prophecy, and it is illuminating something right in front of you or in the near term. Okay? Now, Kyle, you're really tall, so I need you to come up here real fast if you don't mind. And if you're on the sides, it's a, maybe a little less effective of an illustration, but I think you'll get the picture. So now you hold this up, kind of hold up real high, but stand sort of directly behind him. So if you're looking at what's being spoken or you're looking at what's being shared, you're seeing something that's illuminated in the near term or that's not so far out in front of you. However, I can still look beyond that where Kyle is, where that light is up high, and there's something further out, something higher up that actually this word is still pointing towards that's yet to be accomplished. Does that make sense? So duality and prophecy. This is a big part of scripture. Thank you guys. I appreciate that. We can just set those, give them a round of applause because they did not know I was going to call them up here tonight. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 24. And I'm going to begin reading the first 14 verses here. The first couple, you're going to see the part about the destruction of the temple. So Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So this is, this is already fulfilled. The Roman Empire destroyed the second temple. We know that Solomon built the first temple, and then it was destroyed by the Babylonians, and then they returned from captivity. They rebuilt the temple under Zerubbabel, and then Ezra came along. And then after that, Herod actually expanded Jerusalem and the temple and the city uh, to a magnificent in a magnificent way. And then the Roman Empire comes along in 70 AD and they bring destruction to everything. Okay? And so this, is all, this part has already been fulfilled. But here's where he starts to shift gears. So verse 3. So he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So you can see how this is a little bit cryptic for them or they're confused because they're associating the second coming of Christ with this destruction of the temple that he's talking about that really comes in the near future. And then in verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. And so there are a number of these things that he talks about that do apply to the near-term fulfillment of prophecy, but there are many of these things that actually point towards the greater fulfillment in the second coming of Christ. That's really what I want to talk to you about tonight. And so I took some time to kind of set that up so we're all really seeing clearly through the right lens here. All right, verse 5. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places, and all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because, of law, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Do you notice how he said, but the end is not yet, and then he goes on, and then he says, then the end will come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, we need you tonight, God. You, 
you have to speak to us for us to understand anything in your word, Holy Spirit. You are the revealer, and I ask that you would speak through me, and you would speak to each and every heart that's here tonight. We welcome you. We permit you. We give you place to do whatever you want in our lives, in our church, in our community. We just say, God, have your way in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right. So the title of the message, if you're taking notes, is A Love That Will Be Tested. A Love That Will Be Tested. So we're going to travel through a lot of these verses. But let me begin by sort of bringing into focus the one uh, that kind of drives, I think, the message this evening. And that is verse 12, where it says, Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. This has been really just beating in my heart for the last number of months. This idea that God's people will be faced with great challenges. We know that. In fact, it's pretty much guaranteed for those who are of the faith, whether we're around when Jesus returns or whether we're already in heaven, our life here will be met with challenges because of our walk of faith. Does that make sense? Uh, and this, these verses are bringing to light this idea that there will be great challenges that come to the people of God. And one of the threats those challenges will have is that it would cause the love of God's people to begin to grow cold. If you study that grow cold, it means to be extinguished. You ever had a campfire and you take it's it's you keep it burning through the right? This is great weather for campfires right now. You got a nice big bonfire going in the evening, you keep throwing logs on it, you keep that fire stoked, it's hot, flame is lit. And then as the night goes on and you kind of people start retiring and checking out, the fire sort of gets a little bit, uh, it wanes. And then by the morning, how many know that fire, it's still kind of warm, right? You ever walked up, my kids have walked up and, and then they like to kind of mess with it in the morning when there's still some smoldering coals there, but it's much less of a fire than it was the night before. And then if you take water and you just kind of dump it on there, it begins and there's still some heat. But for the most part, the flame, the energy, and the light has kind of went out. Does that make sense? So this is the picture that we see of what the love in the church will be challenged by. Will it be a love that keeps burning white hot through great ch challenge and great adversity? Or will it be a love that begins to grow cold? Listen to me. Because of the increasing difficulty that is coming on the earth to God's people. We're not talking about easy to love in easy times. We're talking about preparation for the body of Christ. We're talking about believers understanding that adversity will come to us in our day some way, shape, or form. And it's in those moments where our love is really going to be tested. I'm going to go back earlier this year, and I had a gentleman come up to me after a service, and he shared something with me that I was incredibly moved by. I was very, uh, I admired his transparency and his openness, but I began to ponder it for a long time after that day, and I, I think it sort of spoke to a bigger picture than just what this guy was sharing because I felt like, man, there's probably a lot of people that are feeling the same way. And here's what he said. He came up to me, and I had quoted the verse John 3.16 in the message. It wasn't even one of my primary verses. I just quoted it uh, spontaneously. You know, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son. He's like, that. when you said that verse, it just... It just really rocked me. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because that wasn't even really a main part of the message. But God does that, doesn't he? He speaks to people uniquely. And I'm like, well, what was it about that that, you know, grabbed, your, grabbed you so much? He's like, well, 
I kept hearing that verse for the last number of, of months. God just kind of kept saying that verse to me. He's like, and you know, that's like the most commonly known verse in the church. And I kept saying, well, I, I get it, God. I know the verse. Like, what, what are you trying to say? And for the whole time, I did not know why God kept bringing that to my attention. And then when you said it today, it hit me, and I knew exactly why God had been doing that. And I'm, I'm in, like, suspense. I'm like, okay, tell me. I got to know. He says, here's why. God showed me. I don't love the world. And I was like, wow. He's like, I, I realized I am so fed up and sick of everything I'm seeing. I am so disgusted by what everybody I see on TV is doing and in social media. He said, I realized my heart has become so disgusted that I, I, I don't love the world. Now, if we're honest, can anybody in just maybe a little way understand and relate to what this guy is feeling? Right? I thought, man, that's, that's really transparent. I appreciate you being so vulnerable. And I began to pray on that. I began to ponder that. And the Lord just kind of kept this thing beating in my heart like he is not the only one. <laughs> he is not the only one. If I'm honest, I'm, I'm a little disgusted by a lot of the things I see too. Right? But here's the thing. We're talking about a love that Jesus calls us to that endures and persists for people while simultaneously hating sin. That's what we're talking about. But this thing can become really blurry if we're not careful and we're not watchful of our own hearts. Because we could say, well, I hate the sin. Sure, we could all probably say that. But do you still love the person? Do you still love the sinner even while hating the sin? And as we read these verses, let's look at some of the things that start to happen. And I think what you're going to realize is that we are already seeing some onsetting. I'm not saying like, hey, you know, this is the time. I mean, Jesus even says, no one knows the day or hour. The angels in heaven don't even know. But he does say, look for the signs. Because when you see these signs, you know that the end is drawing near. Right? He says that for good reason. Let's look at the things that he lays out in these verses. And let's just think. I, I wonder if some of these things are already setting on us here in the world a little bit right now. Now, the point isn't to be super, like, apocalyptic. The point is to say, let's guard our heart and let's make sure that we have a love that's getting more white hot that's not actually growing cold in the church. Because what are God's people supposed to be most known for? Love. If we are not able to be recognized because of our love, then do, do we really stand a chance at winning the world to the love of Jesus. I mean, Jesus says, oh, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, but love one another, right? Love others. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love never fails. I mean, I could go on and on. This is a big deal. And we hear that sometimes. We think, yeah, love, of course, I got to love. And then we just kind of move on. <laughs> Hold on a second. This is a deep kind of love that we're talking about. You see, the Bible actually has many different words for love in the Greek. There are different types of love. I could say, man, how many people would say, I love chocolate? How many people say, I love steak? Big, fat, juicy, ribeye, Texas style. I mean, it's all, you know what I'm saying? Charred on the grill. I would say, I love that. But that's not the kind of love, close, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's not the kind of love that we're talking about. The, the kind of love that Jesus is speaking about is agape love. It's a divine love. It's the way that God loves mankind. It's a preferential kind of love to prefer others. It's a laying down of self. He's saying that's the kind of love that's going to be threatened when times get tough, right? Let's listen to some of the things that happen here. Religious 
deception begins to occur. Let's reread verse 5. Jesus says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will deceive many. Verse 11, Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And then verse 24, let's jump down there. We didn't read that one yet. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Let me ask you a question. How anchored are we going to be when the false prophets and all the false representations of Savior out in the world start doing signs and wonders too? Because it's going to happen. You understand that? Jesus is not the only one that's doing things that are kind of like, well, that's pretty miraculous. He says, no, there's false prophets that are going to come along and do miracles and signs. We're going to need to be pretty well taught and pretty well grounded in order to discern the spirits and difference in those times. But when these things start to go down, the deception is going to begin to lead people astray and their heart is going to begin to grow cold. goes on to say there are, there's famine, pestilences that will start to arise. Now, when you look at that pestilence, it can also mean disease. Now, let me read this verse 7, Matthew 24, verse 7 in the Passion Translation. I want you to think about our world today, nation will go to war against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. There will be terrible earthquakes and horrible epidemics and famines in place after place. Wow. Horrible epidemics everywhere in the world. That would actually be called a pandemic. Social and political upheaval. Natural disasters, and then the one that we're kind of working our way down towards here, persecution of the saints. Persecution of the saints. These are some pretty serious deals, aren't they? These are the kind of things that could turn the love off in a person's heart. If they begin to grow bitter and cold towards what's happening in the world, more importantly, Towards the people in the world that it's happening through. You see, Jesus gives us a full permission, full permission to hate sin. But if you're going to take that approach, which we should, listen, you have to marry that with and balance that with, we love the sinner. Because Jesus comes into the city right before this happens. This is the triumphal entry before his death, his crucifixion and death. And he comes into the city, and you know what he does? He looks upon the city, and he cries. He weeps for the city. Think about this. He weeps for his killers. He knows what's coming, yet he is full of heartache. He sheds tears, it says. He weeps for Jerusalem. But then not very long after that, he's in the the temple flipping the tables over of the money changers and letting them have it, man. This is a great picture for us. We could stand against sin and have holy conviction, yet at the same time, this is the question that we challenge ourselves with, does my heart weep for the sinner? All of them. That are bound up, misled, deceived, and have no idea that they're perishing. Do I hurt for them? Do I weep for them? Or do I welcome their judgment? Because <laughs> he says, this is where your heart has to really get examined during the tough times that eventually are going to come. He says these things are like labor pains. Now, I've seen this a time or two. <laughs> I started to see, I was preparing in my head for this, and I started to say six times, but that's really not true. It's only been five because we have twins. So I'm like, whoa, I don't want to be dishonest with that. So it's five times. Here's what I know to be true about labor pains. And any lady that's done it one time is like, I can't believe he's up there acting like he knows. 
Agreed. Much respect. <laughs> but from my vantage point, a couple of things about labor pains. And again, Jesus is likening these increasing disasters and these things on the earth and the calamities and all this stuff. He says they're like labor pains. Labor pains, two things. They increase in frequency and intensity. And actually, they even increase in duration, right? The contractions get closer and closer together. They last longer, and they get more and more painful. This is the, this is the picture of what the world is doing before Jesus returns. You understand that? It's, it's intensifying in its groaning. Yet at the end of that painful process, it's amazing, there's that one final push of pain, and then all of a sudden there is this amazing joy that you never go back from. That's what the second coming of Christ is going to be like. Isn't that amazing? It's going to be the earth ah, is groaning and suffering in the world and all this, and yet here comes Jesus and ah, eternity ushers in. Joy, unmistakable. This is, this is what it's going to be like. But the point is, it's going to continue to increase. So if that's the case, I just I read that and I think to myself, well, I need to be prepared. <laughs> we need to be prepared. If I was to say, hey, don't worry, it's actually not going to get worse. It's going to get easier. Then we would be under the wrong expectation. And I look around today, and I, I listen, I look at the tabloids, I read, I try to stay up to date enough to know what's going on in the world, because I want my heart to have a pulse for humanity and where people are at, but it's, it's tough, right, because there's so much going on. And I look around, and I think, it's no surprise, actually. This stuff is going to get more difficult. It's not going to get easier. But here, listen, this is the beauty of that, is that even though the suffering and the difficulty will increase like labor pains, the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit actually increases in even greater intensity to combat and overwhelm the challenge. You see, we'll have what we need. If our hearts are in the right place. You have more difficulty, I got more grace. You have more challenges, I've got more miracles. You have more problems, more unsolvable things, I've got more wisdom. I've got more answers. I've got more revelation. So you see, we have what we need. It will be available. The increase of God's outpouring of his Holy Spirit is referred to as the latter rain in Scripture. The early rain is the beginning of the harvest season to get it ready. The latter rain is the very end that saturates. It's a downpour, baby, and it just soaks everything. And the final ripening happens, and then all of the fruit is harvested. The sickle reaps it off of the stalks. This is the picture of the second coming of our Lord. Yes, it will get harder on the earth, more difficult, but God's people will be met with a sustaining endurance of his grace and with his love, with his compassion, and with his power to endure until the end. Amen? He says many will be offended, which means to be entrapped and to fall away. Hmm. Wow. You see... For those whose hearts begin to grow cold, instead of burning hotter for God's people, they'll begin to slip and drift into more ungodliness in their life. And Isaiah says is that it'll get so bad, and it's hard to even think how this would be possible, but he says it'll get so bad that they'll, they'll call what's right wrong, and they'll call what's wrong right. You see, it says many will get offended. They'll get bitter by all of this stuff that's happening in the world. And instead of growing hotter in their love for humanity and for those who are perishing, they'll actually begin to grow bitter 
And bitterness is the root of all kinds of sin, it says in Hebrews. So you see what I'm saying? It dri- they would drift into even more ungodliness, and they'll be deceived. They won't even know that they're doing it. They'll think it's right. It, I look around today, and I think, man, how could they think that that is right and okay? I think, oh, yeah. <laughs> it says it's coming. And it's only going to increase. So we love the person, not the sin. The next thing I want to point out, go to uh, verses 9 and 10. He says, And then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Actually, let's stop right there. So, for my name's sake, you will be hated. Now, I want you to get something out of this. The greatest concern in this scripture is not that followers of Christ will be hated by nations. We'll get to that in a second. The greatest concern in this scripture is whether we will be associated with his name. Hmm. You see, if you're not associated clearly with his name, you're probably going to be okay. But to me, that's the greater concern. I want to be associated with his name. And if you'll notice, it's getting harder, not easier, in the culture system of our world today to be a follower of Christ. If you notice that. It says it's coming. Prepare ourselves. Keep the love burning hot while these things happen. You see, you're not, we're not hated for no reason at all. We're hated because there's an enemy of darkness in this world who is turning his attention of his demonic forces towards those who follow the Lamb and trying to bring persecution to them. We're hated because... His name is associated with who we are and how we live our lives. And he doesn't say, not only will you be hated, he says, you'll be hated by all nations. Now think about this. For the last couple hundred years in our nation, the United States, for the most part, I use this term loosely, okay, this is, I'm not saying this as a theological principle, just saying this loosely, uh, the United States has kind of been friendly or a, a safe place, if you will, for Christians. Does that make sense? There are many nations in the world that that is not the case. As the time goes on toward the end, there will be universal persecution on the righteous from all nations. Does that make sense? It's literally like a rallying together everywhere on the globe against God's people. It's going to get pretty tough. But our love must endure. It's like we got to know these things are coming. We got to be wise and discerning, right? Wise as serpents, gentle as doves, and all in the midst of all of this chaos and craziness, and yet, Our heart and our love for people who are perishing just keep burning hotter and harder. You want to talk about something that ticks the devil off when he's hitting you with everything, and then you keep loving those people who are hating you. Oh, he doesn't know what to do with that. But that's what he's ultimately trying to do is extinguish the love of God's people so they look nothing like Jesus. Because if they do... He knows that that's a big problem. He's going to lose a bunch of them to the Lord. And that's really where our part is, right? That's where our call is, is to just keep loving people so that they see this love that we've been captured by. It says in 1 John chapter 4, it says, uh, if someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar, which means he's a phony. You say, no, that's not possible. These two, you, these two things marry together. They're harmonious, loving God and loving people. 
hating sin, but loving people, right? And Jesus represents this so well. He says, uh, Mark 13, verse 9, the Passion Translation. Listen to this. Be on your guard, for they will hand you over to ruling. Now think about this. They will hand you over to ruling councils. You will be beaten in public gatherings. You will stand trial before kings and high-ranking governmental leaders as an opportunity to testify to them on my behalf. Luke says you will be hunted down by civil and religious authorities. Wow. Hated by all nations, persecution, hunted down, brother against brother, parent against child. You're like... Okay, what do I have to look forward to, Pastor? You're not exactly painting a great picture here. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Because this stuff is all temporal. This stuff is all fading. And here's what we have to look forward to. First of all, he says this in Luke 21, 13 through 15. It will turn out when these things are happening... It will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Now, some of us are like, eh, I'm, I'm cool. I don't know that I want to sign up for that one. <laughs> you, know, you know, you've heard like the power of contrast, right? Like the greater the contrast, the more just eye-opening, illuminating something can be. Jesus is well aware of the stage that's getting set. He is interested in putting his best people in the most important positions. He says these things will be opportunities for you to give a testimony for me. And he goes on to say, when that happens, don't worry beforehand what you're going to say. Don't even stress about it. Don't worry your little heart. He says, I will put wisdom by the Holy Spirit in your mouth at the very moment that you need it. You see, frankly, if if I'm kind of being real here, I don't know how, I, I can't really fathom how I could be in a situation where I'm enduring such persecution and suffering, and then all of a sudden before influential leaders, government authorities, civil, religious, I mean, people are really taking some pressure in a lot of spaces right now in our society, aren't they? People are coming under fire in in different kinds of school board meetings and all kinds of stuff. And all I'm saying is, is it seems sometimes hard for me to think how I could be in a situation like that and during great pain and suffering, and all of a sudden what comes out of my mouth is how people are going to see Jesus. Wow. And Jesus says, if your heart's right, if your heart is good, if your love is up hot, I'll be able to use you in remarkable ways. It'll be a testimony for me. Wow. I think about Stephen. Right? As he's being stoned. And and he literally, as he's getting ready to die, is just like, Lord, just forgive him. You know? Don't hold this against him. And I think to myself, my gosh, this guy really looks like Jesus. You remember what Jesus says, Lord, forgive him. They know not what they do. He loves his killers. And Stephen actually looks like that. I think, oh, Lord, help me. Help me. I want to be counted worthy, Lord. But I've got to admit, you're going to have to help me. Because I could never do that on my own. He says, you know what? It's okay. I got something ready for you when that moment comes. Keep your heart right. He says this in Luke 21. He says, not a hair on your head shall be lost. That's verse 18. And the Aramaic... uh, phraseology what that means is that my grace will never lift from your head isn't that good he says don't worry my grace will always be on you keep your heart right keep your heart up keep your love up don't let it go out don't let it grow cold and i'll use you in major major ways during these very very difficult times the suffering will not win You see, the nice thing about this that we see, verse 14 in Matthew 24, so we're going to swing back there, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. 
as a witness to all of the nations. And then the end will come. You know what I get out of that? The gospel never stops advancing. Hell is breaking loose on the earth. The, the world, the earth itself is erupting cataclysmically. Stars are going out. The sun's going out. The moon's going out. It's all coming down. Yet the gospel continues advancing to the very end. He says, actually, it ain't time for the end to come until every nation on the face of the earth has had a chance to hear the gospel. Wow, is that not grace on display? Jesus says, and he makes a promise, I'm not coming back until the whole world has had a chance to hear the good news and turn from their wicked ways so that they could spend eternity in heaven with me. I love talking with a lot of our missionaries because a missionary's mindset, most of them that are like seriously called to missionary work, like long term, it's amazing. Their mindset is that they are cooperating with the will of God by taking the gospel to parts of the world where it hasn't been taken yet. Because they're cooperating with his will to make sure every nation hears before the end actually comes. Oh, that's so good. But the gospel keeps advancing. So we've got nothing to fear or worry about. Is it going to be hard in the flesh? Yes. Frankly, it is. But we don't have anything to fear or worry about because it says, my grace will never depart from your head. I'll always give you what you need. Think about the life of the Apostle Paul. Think about how many times he could have and should have died. Shipwrecked, beaten, tortured, imprisoned, stoned, left for dead. I mean, do you look at that and you're like, that's like a movie, right? I mean, God just keeps coming back. It's because the sovereign hand of God was on him, protecting him. He said, I'm not done with you yet. You're not done writing. You're not done preaching. You're not done taking the gospel to other parts of this world. I'm not done with you yet. And then finally, towards the end of his life, he gets martyred. It's like Jesus said, okay, your time is done. It's like David. It said, David served God during his generation, and then he fell asleep. God's got a plan. He's got a purpose. We're here. And as long as we're hooked in, cooperating with the will and mission of God, our assignment to advance this thing, he says, you'll be protected until it's your time to come home. Now, I, got, I don't understand all the things, you know, when people go and when is their time. I'm not trying to figure all that out. All I'm saying is God shows us again and again and again when we're hooked in, cooperating with his will, doing what he's called us to do, advancing. He says, I'll protect you through everything that could kill you to make sure my will through you is completed and finished. Man, that's good, isn't it? You just know, like, okay, God, you got me. I'm better in his hands than I am in my own hands anyway. He's a better protector of me than I am of me. It's just kind of like take a breath. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. And so all these things are happening. This is what's remarkable to me. All these things are happening. Jesus says, these are the signs. This is how you know it's getting close. This is, you see all these things. Okay. And yet, even though all these signs are happening, when it actually goes down, it's like a twinkling of an eye. It's like a thief in a night. Here and gone in a moment. Isn't that something? You think like you're reading this like, okay, it's just like, oh, yeah, we're going to see this thing coming from a mile away when this all starts going down. It's going to be like that, which means we got to be ready long before that time ever gets here, <laughs> right? It's a twinkling of an eye. It's a thief in a night. What really amazes me is that when that happens, oh, all of these people who are blind and deceived, can't see, can't hear, all of a sudden, in a moment, with great suddenness, there is astounding clarity in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. It says every single knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess and every eye is going to see, oh my gosh, he really is Lord. And he's going to come back and he's going to reign with a rod of iron. Wow. So much deception, yet in a moment when Jesus says, okay, the end has come. All of a sudden, there will be no more uncertainty anywhere. Not in heaven, not on the earth, and not even those under the earth. It'll be great clarity. 
it says that the skies will rip open, be torn. And Jesus is coming back on a white horse. He's got hair like wool. He's got eyes that are a flame of fire. He's got a white robe dipped in blood and a sword that proceedeth from his mouth. And all of the rebellious spirits and those under the control of the Antichrist, it says they will be destroyed by the brightness of his coming. Oh, the moon's going to go out. The sun's going to go out. The stars are going to go out. It's not going to matter because we won't need the sun. We won't need the moon. We won't need the stars because the glory of God will illuminate everything when he comes. Oh. It says the trumpet will blast in heaven. It's a universal announcement. It says the angels will gather from the four corners of heaven and of the earth. Everyone's going to be there. Everyone's going to have a front row seat. And I know that when that happens, I want to be ready. I want to be able to say, Lord, I loved like you wanted me to love. I did everything I could to try to win as many into the kingdom as I could. Because here's what I promise you from the eternal vantage point. All that suffering, all that difficulty, all the hate we endured, all the bad things people said, all the lashing out friends and family did, it's really not going to matter anymore. All we're going to be thinking about is I'm just glad all the people who are here for eternity are here with me. And I really think that we will probably say, if I could go back and endure a little more suffering and be hated a little bit more so that a few more people could be here, I'd do it in a second. But that's the eternal vantage point that I'm just kind of trying to paint a picture of, and we're standing here and now. But I think we got to hook into that. we got to look from now and see it's really all about love. Because it says when that happens and the end comes... And the time to decide and confess is over. It says all the nations of the world will mourn. Why will they mourn? I'm speculating here. This is conjecture. But I think it's because they're going to see how beautiful he is. They're going to see how wonderful he is. And they're going to see what they missed out on. And they'll be filled with eternal torment. We know that. But I think the worst part is the eternal regret of knowing they could have called on the name of the Lord. Our love matters a whole, whole lot. And these things we're dealing with right now. That are going to get worse. They're going to challenge the best of us. Will your heart go out? Will your love get cold? Or will you through means of supernatural provision. Because I promise we, can't, we cannot do it on our own. Will somehow in a way that makes no natural sense. Will you actually love even more? Hate to sin. Stand for conviction. I'll be the first one to stand strong against things that are ungodly. All I'm saying is, we got to still love the person behind all those sinful deeds. And I'll close with this. I remember one time, years back, when I was still on staff at the church we came out of, and uh, Pastor Rick was mentoring me through a lot of just ministry moments, you know, and opportunities with, with people. And there was this person that was, I mean, basically they were influenced by a demon. They were under a demonic influence, you know. And so Pastor Rick was like, here's, you know, how you got to handle that. And he said something to me that I'll never forget. Because he's like, you got you to you have authority. You got to know who you are and who, who you are in Christ. If you're... If you're uncertain about your identity, it's going to run you right out of there. You got to be strong. You got to deal with authority. He said, but listen to me, and you listen to me clearly. Do not forget that if you start encountering that demon and that manifests and you're, you're dealing with that demon, do not forget that there's a person behind that. 
there is a person behind that. And you treat them with love and grace. Blew my mind. I didn't even have the faculties to put any of that together before he said that to me. And then I circle back around tonight in these verses, and I'm thinking about this whole situation that we're in and how this goes down and what we've got to be ready for. And I think back to that moment when he said that, and I think, ah, that's it right there. We've got to deal strongly with the ungodliness of our day. We can't waver. We can't run from it. We have to confront it. We have to stand strong. But somewhere along the line, the way I see that this thing potentially could go down is a lot of people in attempts to do that are going to find themselves unexpectedly in this place where their love is going to start going cold. And if the church gets to that point, what do we have left? It's going to take love to win the lost. So I just want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes tonight. And I want to pray for myself, really, and I just think maybe this might be a prayer of a lot of people here as well, people watching online too. But I want to pray, God, like a rotary dial on an oven, would you turn up the temperature on the love in my heart? (laughs) And I don't even know necessarily how to ask you to do what I'm asking you to do, God, because I'm not really sure. I just need you to help me love like you love. Turn the heat up. Keep the fire burning. Like a fire that goes all night long, God, just continuing to throw log after log after log on so that as morning approaches, it doesn't wane or lessen. It actually gets hotter and brighter so that I could be a beacon for you. Absolutely, positively do not trust myself. I could never do this without you. But I'm telling you with great humility, Lord, and fervency, I want to. I desire to. In times of great calamity, God, would you help me to look like you? So that more could be saved.